Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by a very special guest, Thomas Smale. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on, Jonathan. So Thomas is the CEO of FE International, and I'm excited to have a conversation about uh, creating and selling SaaS businesses today with, with you know, geez, I mean, in my mind, the worldwide expert on it. <laughs> it's the only only name I know associated with that. So. Well, that, that's very flattering. <laughs> so can you tell folks a little bit about what FE International is if they haven't heard of it before? Sure. Um, so we're a, a, a M&A firm or mergers and acquisitions firm that specializes in the sale of SaaS software, e-commerce and content-based online businesses. Um, I, I guess sometimes people would interchange M&A with business broker. Generally, business brokers work on slightly smaller deals than we do, but we definitely have an overlap between kind of both of those both of those terms. Um, we've been in business nearly eleven years now. In that time, we've completed over a thousand acquisitions, ranging from around fifty thousand dollars valuation on the low end to nearly a hundred million dollars on the the higher end. So we work in a real range of different deals across a range of business models. Um, and as the, the name suggests, we're quite international in nature. We have clients all over the world. Um, we have um, our head office is in, in, in New York. Um, we have a West Coast presence. I'm in San Francisco. Um, we have another office in uh, London with a lot of our team there. Uh, we have an office in Miami and some other smaller offices around the world as well. So we have a team everywhere. Um, and I guess similar to a lot of your audience, I started out um, freelancing myself before I started FE in 2010. So I've kind of been there, done that, been through the journey. <laughs> yeah, so I talk to folks generally, uh, it's it's predominantly software developers who work for themselves and they, they find me when they're looking for ways to scale up their business beyond hourly billing into things where they're pricing their services or they're creating productized services or maybe info products or courses or those kinds of things. Uh, but one of the things that software developers often consider when they're thinking about getting away from hourly billing and trading time for money and getting into a, a more of a business business uh, is a SaaS, of course, because they've got the skills or at least they, they've got the technical skills to build stuff like that. And for years probably have been building things like that for clients and seeing the results that the clients are getting. And after a while, some of them are like, geez, why don't I just build one for myself? And I'm wondering if you could give a little bit of perspective on maybe maybe a, uh, I imagine that lots of those folks, or at least I talked to lots of folks who have a kind of a naive approach to that. And I wonder if you could bring some expertise to the table and say, like, here here are some things you might want to do if you're considering building a SaaS. You know, maybe you set it up in a particular way. Maybe you do some business stuff first. Maybe you do some market research. Maybe you buy one and don't build it yourself. Like, what are some of the things you would counsel uh, someone who is just really getting ready to consider dipping their toes in this space? Yeah, sure. So I think I think the first thing to consider, particularly if you're freelancing or maybe you have a job, maybe thinking about doing it on the side, is that your pers- personal and f- financial position. Not everyone is in the position where they can kind of take time out and kind of build a business starting from zero. So one of the things with um, building a SaaS business is, uh, unless you raise a bunch of funding, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but if assume you're not in that position yeah let's assume bootstrap um, let's assume yeah bootstrap. It, it, it takes some time to do so i'd say one thing with SaaS is like you have to be patient if you're expecting to replace a kind of freelance or consulting income straight away that's that's probably not going to happen it does take time um so a, a lot of people we work with have transitioned from either kind of full-time engineers working at various companies or they've been doing their own freelance work or maybe they have a small agency or various different businesses like that and you can use that runway to help fund getting a business off the ground. So the, the first thing to consider is you do need to be patient. It, it's not like a service business where, like, theoretically, you can go from zero to full-time income overnight with freelancing. That's not the case with SaaS. Yes, there are some probably some examples out there you can find, but I've been doing this a, a long time, and I'd say most of the time, and again, this is a bit of a generalization, most of the time, it's going to take at least two years until you can replace a, a full-time income. So that's something to think about and consider when you're you're starting out. Um, I think the next thing is, particularly if you're bootstrapping, is making sure you build something that you actually 
know about and are going to enjoy building because I think what a lot of people don't realize or don't think about is the first, like I said, the first two years particularly are extremely hard. It's not easy. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, then you're probably not going to be that successful. So if you're just chasing like revenue and money and you don't really enjoy what you're doing, you don't really find it interesting, then you're probably not going to be very successful. Yeah, so stay, stay at your job. <laughs> yeah. So it is important is important to make sure you're doing something you find interesting and something that kind of the market or people actually want to buy. I think too many people come to me and they're like, hey, Thomas, what is like the best business to build at, at the moment? What's the biggest trend? And while trends are great, and yes, there are definitely examples of people who have built multi-million or billion-dollar businesses off the back of a, a trend, it's not necessarily my advice starting out, particularly if you're bootstrapping. You kind of want to go for something that has a, which is what I did with Bessie International, to be honest. I built something that I knew would work. It's not a groundbreaking idea. We effectively built a better version of what already existed and then continued to do a good job for over 10 years so a lot of the time it's just as simple as that you just have to kind of get your head down work consistently so that is a i guess the other point to consider make sure you enjoy it make sure there is actually a, a market out there i think you can go the other way and make the mistake i see quite often of people literally just building a business around their hobby or hobbies of what they find interesting and not really what people are willing to buy so there's a bit of a trade-off between it has to be a thing you're going to be interested in but also something that people are interested in actually buying. Right, um, you want to find the intersection of it, know, passion and talent. It, and it, exactly. Market. And I think for a lot of people, it doesn't necessarily have to be like building a business. If you enjoy, I guess, the art and science of business is also fun. Like I personally enjoy business. I just like the subject, like the topic. I'm a just like student of business. So I've always enjoyed building my business because it is a business. And I work with business owners. So it might sound stupid, but that's kind of what keeps me interested every day. I'm always speaking to new people, different types of businesses. um, And that's what I find fun. Like you're not going to build a business where you enjoy every single part of it. Like for most business owners, I think people assume that they just do the stuff that's fun and outsource everything else. But the reality is you're going to spend 90% of the time doing stuff that you don't really want to do, you don't (laughs) find interesting. Um, So it is a little bit of balance. Yeah, that's like when I used to be years, a million years ago when I used to be a musician, like 90% of the time you're smelling somebody's dirty socks in the back of a van and only 10% of the time you're on stage doing the fun part. So, exactly. Yeah. So what what do you have any comment on the sort of trope that I see over and over? You see it from successful startup or, you know, reasonably successful startup founders, but I, it feels to me like confirmation bias. Uh, the trope of like scratching your own itch, is that actually... Is that irrelevant or is that a classic error or is it kind of nothing, neither here nor there? Um, I'd say it depends. I think you could find examples where it's worked and where it doesn't. Um, I would say in general, I, I don't think it's a, a sensible idea. I think people get stuck in echo chambers where if you hang out with 100 other people who have similar interests to you, they will all say that you're, an idea you come up with aimed at them is good. Ultimately, you can only really build, and again, there are some always some exceptions, so I think I have come to caveats. You can only build a successful business if people who are not in your immediate peer group or like friends actually want to buy the, the product or service that you're, you're selling. So I do think it's important to find something you're interested in or I guess like scratch your own itch, but it also needs to be commercially viable. I mean, that said, what, what you find that would solve a problem for you personally could also be something that's extremely um, like viable as a, as a business, but it could also not be. Um, well, how does someone find it? How, how would you suggest people find out whether or not an idea is viable before they spend six months coding it up? Well, I think firstly, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think one of the best ways to get started, because this is what I did while I was starting my business. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any connections. didn't know anyone. Very early on, I was writing content, kind of engaging in communities. Um, and I'm sure you know this, but over the last 11 years, the landscape has changed significantly. So there's lots and lots of different places you can go to talk about business now. Years ago, it was like Facebook wasn't really a thing. You could go on of forums, 
and things like that. There wasn't really an easy way to get out there. But I would say that if you can write content or engage with people, so it could be a podcast, um, you could, I guess you could either be a guest on a podcast, you could launch your own podcast, you can write content, you could be active on social media. I think if content you're writing or talking about on a podcast or videos you're making, you can make things for YouTube. I guess what you're good at, like I personally have no idea how to make a video, so I would not make videos and put them on YouTube. But if you do, then you can do that if you know how to, uh, kind of produce audio then maybe you should do a podcast again starting out i had no idea but i knew how to write so i would write i would engage with people um i think that's a good start and again if you have people engaging with you who are not your immediate peer group then i think you have a reasonable expectation that what you've come up with is a good idea um you can get definitely get a bit smart as well like you can build like a pre-marketing list like hey i'm we're launching secret project x sign up on the the wait list and then when you get to a arbitrary number of a hundred or a thousand people you can consider launching um i guess ultimately though launching a business is a risk you, you don't you never really know unless you've done it there's not really a kind of a a shortcut or a guarantee uh, i guess that's why so few people do it and then those who do try why an even smaller percentage are successful because it's not easy and um you kind of have to put the time and effort in up front. But I'd say content is definitely, or just social media is a good way to get an idea of people are going to be interested. And I guess if people are going to be interested in what you think, your, your way of approaching things. Because everyone has a, like, for example, in my industry, there are lots of different ways you can approach M&A. It, it might seem like quite a kind of formulaic kind of business, but there are lots of different ways you can approach it from a, kind of philosophy and mindset perspective and it's exactly the same with a, a, a product you build just because you have a a problem that you consider to be personally a problem lots of people might agree that that's a problem but they might not necessarily agree that your solution is the right solution there are lots of ways to solve there's almost never a single solution to a problem right. there's usually multiple ways to solve a problem so mm-hmm. it's important to consider lots of different factors like that Okay, so if I was going to summarize that without putting words in your mouth, I, I feel like what you're saying is um, start to engage with the market in a in a really the simplest way for you, whatever that is. It's going to be it's going to be simpler than writing code. It's going to be engaging with people on social media and bringing your. How much of the solution would you bring, or was it more more like you would bring your worldview to the table, or maybe? Um, be say like, hey, I see this problem, and based on my worldview, I feel like. Uh, it should be solved in these ways. In other words, like, what do you see people before the product exists? What should they be writing about? Or are you just saying create an audience in general that agrees with your worldview, and that's a good sign that you might get some traction? Yeah, I'd say create a. I mean, firstly, a bit of everything. Like one thing with content, I've learned. I I could even even today, I could come up with fifty ideas for pieces of content, and even with the best marketing team in the world, forty five of them won't be interesting to anyone and won't get shared four of them will do okay uh, and one will be really popular and the one the one that's really popular is probably not the one you think would be in your top top 10 um so firstly you kind of have to put yourself out there and try different things so i guess the answer is i don't know until you you try but you definitely have to um kind of talk to the the audience about kind of your views on the world or views on the specific industry you're hoping to build around um talk around around the problem you see how you consider solving it the, the one thing I, I would say for almost every business over time you pivot chances are what you think is the solution up front will be not exactly what you're doing in in two years time you might build a product that does something in a certain way for a particular audience and it might well be that actually that product does not resonate at all with the audience but there's another audience which is more lucrative larger and the one you should target instead. And this is the stuff that's, that's really hard to know up front, unless you put yourself out there. If you're not producing any content, you're not talking to anyone, and you're not, you don't have anything to sell, then ultimately you're just sat there kind of with ideas in your head. And my experience is until you actually try, you, have, you don't really know. You can make an educated guess, particularly if you've been in the industry, but it's very difficult until like, people actually get their credit cards out or checkbook or whatever it might be and right. start paying you. 
Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to put. That's a great way to wrap it up. Is to, is to say, you know, you need to start putting yourself out there, or certainly you're going to increase your odds of success at building the right thing if you do put yourself out there before you start writing code. So let's say someone, you know, I, I talked to Paul Jarvis one time, and he recently created something called Fathom, and he had the idea for it, and before he did a single thing, he just tweeted, you know, would anybody be interested in a privacy-minded version of Google Analytics? And he got like hundreds and hundreds of, of likes and, and, and replies and suggestions. And then so he uh, just ripped open Sketch or whatever and created an interface. Like, I think this is what the dashboard would look like. You know, he saw, he didn't even create a mock-up or anything at first. He just tested with one tweet about the idea. He said, eh, there's, you know, some people are liking this. It doesn't mean they're going to buy it. He's like, I think the dashboard would look like this, you know, a couple of days later. And people were like all over it. And, you know, he still no code, not even close. And he kept sort of iterating in that kind of a way, a very low cost kind of iteration and broadcasting that to social media. To get, so let's say, let's say someone listening to this tries that. They do, they, they do get an indication on social media that there is interest in this. It seems pretty, um, it seems pretty strong. Maybe people would pay for it. Maybe they wouldn't, but there's some kind of interest. What would you do when you decided, so let's, and I decide, I'm this person and I decide to take it seriously and I'm going to do like nights and weekends uh, and devote, I don't know, 20 or 40 hours a week to it. What What's the next step? I'm a coder now. Do I start coding now or what would you do, do you think? Yeah, so I mean, I think the first thing you have to do is actually build something that people can use. So I think what one mistake a lot of people make is they spend too much time on like branding and design names and stuff like that. Like, but to be honest, I think, FE and the, I mean, you probably can't really get away with this now, but 10 years ago, you could. Like, we, we didn't have a website for the first two years. Um, and people came to us from word of mouth and the content we had created. It was like, hey, if you want to sell a business, email me. And that was that was the business for the first couple of years. I, I think a lot of people, I mean, it is a little bit different these days for the SaaS business. You kind of do need to at least have a page people can sign up for. And depending on the audience, they may care more about design than others. Like if your target market is designers, then you probably need a, a nice landing page. If it's more B2B, they probably don't care. So I think a lot of people spend too much time on kind of maybe too self-conscious around brand. They're like, oh, I need a really good name. If I don't have a good name, then it's it's not going to work. Ultimately, while that does matter, usually longer term or medium term, like starting out, you can just get away with something. As long as it, uh, roughly makes sense you're probably fine you can all i mean we rebranded early on you can change your name early it's not it's not that much work once you get the kind of traction so don't spend too much time building kind of website landing page um but do make sure you're producing content from day one uh, that doesn't mean write ten thousand words a day but whether you did the podcast whether you did the youtube whether you did social media or blog make sure you do that consistently because you can't just with content, you have to be constantly engaging. Like with your podcast, if you just um, stop producing episodes for six months, then you have no listeners. Yeah, um, and then you show up and say, okay, ready to buy my thing? Exactly. We had So I made this mistake in the early days of FE. We, um, when we sold businesses, we had a good way of selling them quite quickly. So if we sold it quickly, we would never email anyone from our mailing list of buyers to buy it because we'd already sold it. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is people would kind of say, hey, you guys still in business. Because we never sent emails out, and we yeah, weren't they were producing any. Before they got published. It, it, exactly. So we just started doing a weekly newsletter, and it sounds really stupid, but um, sometimes you just have to be consistent. And if people like what you're talking about, they will follow you consistently. Uh, they might look forward to what you're writing or releasing or whatever it might be. Um, so to do that. Build your product, and I'm not a developer, so I wouldn't really give you any technical advice as to how to build your product. But I'd say launch it at the stage where you're comfortable it works but you're not a hundred percent happy it's perfect um in a i say in a previous life pre-covid lockdown i spent the vast majority of my time while running fp kind of at conferences live events um flying around the world and meeting people um and it kind of always being a lot of people at all different stages of their business always kind of shocked me i say saddened maybe saddened not the right word but um, would shock me how many people would spend three or four or five or maybe even more years building something and they would never launch it because it wasn't perfect. I mean, 
maybe like there is a bit of a burden of quality if you're going to charge people but when you're starting out you can just launch something free like first 10 signups get it free that doesn't mean you're committing forever to be free for every single person who's ever going to sign up um but if you can get people or just charge people 10 bucks a month whatever it is if you can get product people will pay for you know you know you have an idea then you can go from there and ultimately it and while i do not advocate for this longer term in the early stages of your business i definitely think you can kind of just build what customers want you can iterate based on what people are telling you particularly those who are actually paying you money but it is very important i think to focus on the people that are paying you money because everyone will have an opinion everybody's got an Um, opinion everyone has an opinion and most people who haven't been there and done that will have a opinion about something that probably doesn't matter. Yeah, like I, a lot not, of yeah people, I can't emphasize that more. That That is 100% true. Because if you asked my, my family and friends, even though I run a multi-million dollar business, and I'll say, hey, what does Thomas need to work on? They'll say, oh, I need a, a new website or a new headshot for LinkedIn or, or, or something like that. The reality is, while yes, it's probably somewhere on my to-do list, day-to-day, it doesn't really move the needle if you have a good reputation of our industry yes you need a, a functional website but it's not it's not the difference between success and not success um so a lot of people particularly if they're not in the industry will give you advice that comes from a good place but it's not necessarily going to move, move the needle for you so people that are paying you are the ones you should listen to i, I read every single um we, we get client feedback at all stages of um our process i read every single one of them have done since the beginning of fe and we consistently make process changes obviously we're a service business so i can only change processes i can't really change anything technical as as such we'll make process changes all the time based on feedback now that does not mean every single time someone tells you something is good or bad you should change it even if they're a customer um because you need to learn over time like what's valid feedback and what's what's actually going to be relevant to as many people as possible so you don't want to get in the habit of kind of having vip clients early on where you just kind of build your product or service just around them um you have to build something that you think lots of people are going to want um yeah so that'd be t- my yeah okay i guess the short of it is that'd be my advice early on kind of keep producing content don't worry too much about design get something out there um and, and don't spend don't don't spend forever on it because you spend two years building like I'm t- when I said at the start, it's two years to get to the stage where you can replace your full-time income. That's two years from launch. So it takes you two years to build it. You're probably looking at four years until you can generate enough income to quit a job. And again, that's a, a somewhat arbitrary number, but it's about my experience on what's reasonable. Right, right. Okay, so so to kind of like uh, summarize all of that so far, it's kind of like, okay, once you've got, a, once you've got an idea that's sort of vetted by an audience, audience interest ship something, get a couple of paying customers, actually listen to what they have to say. You know, you're not going to do everything they ask, but I find that you usually know when like, yeah, that is a good idea. <laughs> you're like, oh, I didn't think of that, but that is a good idea. And, and then other things people are asking for are oftentimes, I think it's pretty easy to tell like the outliers, like, ah, that's, that, that's just this person being either not understanding the interface or just being lazy or having a very weird edge case. Um, you, I feel like you can kind of tell, like the Basecamp guys said years ago, they were like, we don't keep a list of like stuff we're going to build next because we can remember it because people are constantly asking for it. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you subscribe to that notion, but it always, I always found that funny. Yeah, I agree. I mean, ultimately it's like your business. So you can kind of build what you want and what you think is, is best. And also you have to stick to your own philosophy. Like I said at the start, you kind of have to build what you think is what the industry want to see not everyone will tell you what's right um and then i'd say th- the best feedback is usually the negative feedback like i obviously like it when people say wow fe was fantastic 10 out of 10 which fortunately most people do but times where people have um like constructive feedback or even negative feedback that's often the that's often what you need to pay the most attention to particularly as a business owner like it's not as fun it's not the stuff you're going to be sharing on social media or on your podcast or whatever, but it, it, that is what's going to help move your business forward. It's kind of making the kind of edge case customers happy and making them stick around. 
the really happy ones are going to be really happy anyway. And the, the ones who are not a fit are not going to be a fit. It's the ones in the middle I always feel like you have to do the, the best job for. Interesting. Okay, so so where does so let's say I've you know I've, I've done some research I've got something launched I've got uh, I don't know you tell me how many how many oh actually let me let me actually I want to ask a pre question how much does it matter do you think if I'm you know going to build I'm going to build a SaaS in my spare time as a side hustle uh, and fund it with my full time job how important is it to decide upfront whether or not I'm going to plan to sell it. Does that matter at all, or is that just is that something that it would change the way you built it? Um, so, my biased opinion is yes, you should think about selling it from day one. But the, the reality is, in the early days, you, you shouldn't be thinking about selling at all. You should just be thinking about building a, a good business. Uh, ultimately, there are buyers out there. There is a. I mean, this still surprises me today. There is a huge, vast, almost infinite amount of cash and capital out there and resource to acquire good businesses um whereas there's very little cash to acquire bad businesses (laughs) so to me it sounds stupid but if you build a good business there'll be someone willing to buy it um and ultimately that's why firms like us exist because it's our job to be able to find a find a buyer for basically any any good business and that's one thing we do well i think early on you, you don't need to think about it too much there's not a huge amount that you can do early on to influence the sellability in the future i'd say that the only real thing particularly for coming from a a freelance background or consultant background um make sure your business is a business and it's not just built around you um i I don't think this happens too much in the 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 SaaS space um because you're building a a product but we see it quite a lot with um a lot of content businesses so blogs um, often bloggers will build businesses around themselves. Um, and while that's not necessarily a problem, if um, your audience is primarily bloggers, then I would usually talk about things like um, removing your personal brand um, from the site, maybe using a pseudonym or just using your first name, uh, those kind of things. But when you're starting out and getting traction, you need to do what you can to grow the grow the business. If that means building it around you personally then that's what you have to do that's what i did in the early days of fe because it was it was just me it was a very very small team so i couldn't afford to hire anyone um so you just have to do everything yourself and people get to know you and then over time most people now that work with fe never speak to me so they'll probably know who i am but they, they don't talk to me so they talk about fe international the business they don't talk about Thomas smelled person may well be that they've they've met me or heard me on a podcast or whatever but they've probably not interacted with me as part of the kind of service we provide and it's the same with the business you build if it's big enough chances are people will know who you are but they should be referring to your business product service whatever it is by the brand name rather than you personally so that's the only real consideration i would i would think about but early on it just shouldn't be a consideration I always say to people like focus on making your first dollar or hundred thousand dollars or whatever it might be. Don't don't focus about the eventual sale because ultimately if you don't make any money, you're probably not gonna sell your business anyway. <laughs> well, so that's a good segue into, you know, you said a minute ago, uh, there's a lot of money going around to buy a good business, but what do buyers consider when they're deciding whether or not a business is good? I mean, obviously profits or revenue or you know, it's gonna be a money thing, but but I'm sure that you can offer a lot of nuance around that. Yeah. So, I mean, firstly, there are a lot of buyers out there. So buyers look at a lot of different things. Um, some will only buy in a very specific industry. Uh, so, for example, at FE, we represent a lot of Shopify apps. Um, we have some buyers and funds, so private equity firms who only buy Shopify apps. Um, so there's there's never any so one way to think about it is there's never any business you can build that every buyer will love if we have tens of thousands of buyers in our network your job as a founder is not to build a business that everyone wants to buy and believes is fairly priced our only job so our only job at fe is to find the one buyer willing to pay the price you want or the, the market considers reasonable for your business it's not to find while we want multiple bids we might want three to 10 bidders on the business, we don't want 50 people offering full asking price for the business. So if we've done that, it's probably been 
underpriced. So firstly, don't worry about the people who are not a good fit for your business as a buyer and what they want. Because there's, there's lots of buyers out there. You can read their blogs and you can kind of follow them on social media and they will talk about their criteria. Um, oh, really? So that's, like, uh, that's interesting. Can you say more about that? Well, so there's, there's lots of buyers out there, like funds who, I guess, in trying to differentiate themselves will talk about their criteria. So they'll say, um, we can go on their website and they'll say, we're, we're buying generational businesses. We look for businesses that make X, Y, Z. Um, so some might focus on growth rate. Some might focus on profit margins. Some might focus on your churn rate. Some might focus on like your team size, like your location, all of those different, your industry. There are buyers out there who, I guess, will look at and segment by everything. Um, I'd say, in general, the, the important things are firstly, a, I know kind of what you mentioned this, like, a, it sounds cliche and stupid, but like a good product. People want to buy something that is solid, doesn't have a huge number of technical problems is has a long-term outlook so again like not chasing the trends building something that conceivably is going to be around in 10 20 50 years time um and again similar to your point around how you know when something is a a good feature or a good idea um you can usually tell with a business if it seems like something that's going to be around for for a long time so buyers particularly at the higher end that's what they're looking for a lot of private firms have to generate a financial return for investors over a five five or ten year plus horizon so they're not looking for something that is going to do well next year they're looking for something that will do well next year the year after and the many years after that as well so building something good and sustainable is important um buyers will look at your SaaS metrics in a lot of detail um again i could say like you know you have to have low churn low cost of acquisition all the other metrics um but it really varies there are some buyers who won't buy businesses that have uh, like revenue churn rate over two percent and there'll also be other buyers out there who will happily buy a business with a revenue churn of 20 percent because their mandate with their investors is to go and reduce churn so there's, there's not a right or wrong way to do it i'd say obviously the the better your metrics are against industry benchmarks the better your business is going to perform with buyers and the higher valuation you're going to achieve um but it's not a kind of hard and fast rule for what's a kind of perfect business that everyone wants to buy like i think one of the good things about building a business today versus say 10 years ago in the SaaS space there's just a lot of buyers out there at the moment. so you don't necessarily 10 years ago i probably would have been a bit more specific with my advice and said like there's a a group of buyers this is exactly what they're looking for build this now there's a lot of capital in the industry. I wouldn't say you can build anything and it can be sold, but I don't think you have to worry about it too much if you're building a good business that's kind of growing and financially viable. So, so here's a tactical question for you because you know, imagine I'm imagining a lot of developers I know, especially when they've been in house or they've been building products for other people as like a freelancer or like a small firm, they don't think about things like metrics. Like, how, where do they get started with things like? Yeah. I mean, there's there. I'm sure like things like bare metrics or whatever, there's probably a whole bunch of competitors out there. Like what do they plug in to get those kinds of numbers and start to understand those kinds of numbers? Cause they don't, lots of them are not thinking in that way. They're thinking like, this is engineered beautifully and it scratches my own itch and, and now I'm done. But how do you, how do you layer in the kind of business metrics that, that you they would need to post their business on? FE. Yeah, so I think firstly, in the first, at least first year, I, I don't think you should worry about it too much about tracking the metrics because quite honestly, the data is not that useful until you have years of data anyway. You can't really determine your churn rate reliably after, say, six months of being in business. Yes, you can make an assumption. Um, I do think it's important to at least be conscious of your metrics because if you have a very high churn rate or something like that then you might have a a problem that people aren't telling you about that you need to figure out it might be might be just as simple as your product doesn't work or it's not obvious how it works or the it can be some really stupid stuff well i don't know maybe the, the credit cards keep bouncing or the, your payment page doesn't work or all support emails are not going through 
also yeah, so canary like in the coal mine sure exactly mm-hmm. so it is important to at least track them um most of the clients we work with would use a tool like profit well which is free like you mentioned bear metrics as well there's not really a, a right or wrong tool to use but i'd say we we tend to recommend profit well which is i believe it's free when you're starting out and then they have paid plans as you as you grow and you want different offerings so i think plug your plug your if you're using stripe plug your stripe account in the good thing about the third-party tools like profit well they'll calculate all the metrics for you you don't have to you don't have to know the the formulas for all of the different ways of calculating um metrics um so plug it in keep an eye on your metrics so say early on you don't need to worry about it too much um from there as you grow i think it's important to start trying to find and there are lots of different ways you can do this like read blogs follow people on social media try and find the similar companies in your industry and figure out what their metrics are and then you can get an understanding of whether or not you're doing better or worse if one of your biggest contestors blogs about having a churn rate of let's say revenue churn rate of two percent uh, and yours is 10 then you know you probably have a a churn problem because there's not a there's no point comparing to other like friends you're building a business with because often churn is somewhat intrinsic to the industry um you, you can't there's no point comparing a hundred thousand dollars a year b2b product with a ten dollars a month b2c product because i can guarantee you the b2c product is going to have a a much higher churn rate which is not necessarily a bad thing it might just be intrinsic to your industry it's just Um, not apples and apples right yeah exactly so i guess firstly like it is very hard you don't know it's kind of where if you're a content creator um it's helpful because hopefully by the time your business has some traction you have an audience so you can ask them maybe if you go to so not at the moment, but probably picking up conferences and events, meet people in person. I think one thing that's not always surprised me, but I think it's always nice is lots of people, if you meet them in person or you ask them, will be willing to help you and answer questions. I think you can find out you can find out how people are doing, they will tell you. I think if you came to ask me in person, I wouldn't say I would give you any metric at FE International, but there are a lot of metrics I'd be willing to share with people because they're things i think about on a daily basis and and how to improve them so you will not know whether your metrics are good or bad if you just look at them yourself or within a very kind of small peer group you have to kind of do a bit of research figure it out um listen to podcasts where your competitors might be on or or whatever it might be or even look at their marketing materials often people say i know like our average customer pays us a thousand dollars a month and you know that your average customer pays you a hundred dollars a month um and maybe you need to maybe you have a pricing problem um so i guess these are all the things like that i guess the art i was talking about like the art or science of building a business this is the the art element like you have to some things you just have to figure out you can't uh, not everything is written in a book or on a podcast or on twitter or at a conference or wherever it might be some of these things you just have to figure out for yourself there's not a necessarily an easy way of doing it but one thing i do know is often it can just be as simple as asking people or reading what people say people often like kind of hiding in plain sight often it's not that hidden if you actually go looking yeah if you put down the code editor and look around yeah and and that's the that's the theme of everything that you just listed is none of it had anything to do with coding it's it's all about investigating the market doing whatever research that you can do in any scrappy way you can do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great point, which is, you know, none of that stuff was coding. Like the, the product being engineered well is kind of like table stakes. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that you're going to do as a business owner. That's just not, not coding. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And I think that's the way to look at it as well. Like once you launch a business, you are a business owner, you're not a coder anymore. Like you, you still write code, yes, particularly early on when you can't afford to hire anyone. Um, but you, you have to think of it as a as a business. I think too many, not this is necessarily a problem. Some people have a kind of, they decide they want to sell their business when they're not doing any coding anymore. They're like, oh, actually, now I have to manage people. I don't want to manage people. I just want to write code. 
so I'm going to sell. And that's a very personal decision. It's not, there's not a right or wrong answer. If that's what you want to do, then you should sell and go build another business. Um, but that's definitely something to consider. Like you are a business owner. Like, yes, you still have to write code to start out, but you have to think like a business owner. You can't say, oh, well, I don't know about marketing or I don't know about metrics because neither did anyone else starting out. I think it's challenging when you're starting out to look at people who are much further down the path and be like, wow, these people must have known everything when they started out. Like the reality is most people didn't have a clue when they were starting. They just did it and figured it out as they went along. There's not really any kind of secrets most of the time. Like, yes, you can, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world. You can read all the books. You can spend thousands of dollars going to the best conferences and meeting the best people. But until you do it, most of the things I do on a daily basis that are new and I have to figure out, you're kind of Googling it, asking people I know what they think, and then trying to come up with the best solution. It's not always kind of that simple. Yeah, I mean, it's like an audience. Nobody's born with an audience. Kim Kardashian wasn't born with an audience. It's very similar. It's like things change so fast, too. It's like, uh, you know, other than basic fundamentals, a book from 10 years ago is I'm not sure how use, useful it would be, but let's switch gears. So, cause I know we don't, we haven't got uh, a lot of time left. I want to switch gears to a perhaps even smaller segment of my list who is a developer, has those kinds of skills, maybe has a small team and, and, and instead of doing all of that, you know, two to four years of testing and building an audience and coming up with an idea and creating a positive uh, income flow, positive cash flow, look, what if they just want to, instead of building it, even though they're capable of it, is that person a fit for maybe some of the lower end, you know, hundred, two hundred thousand dollar things that Effie sells or has has for sale? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say so. A lot of people would say, like I said, Effie deals with right at the beginning. Effie works with businesses anywhere from fifty thousand dollars valuation up to nearly a hundred million. There are very few. So we're working on an $85 million deal at the moment. Chances are that's not going to be bought by an individual. Um, it's not impossible, but it's, it's unlikely. Um, generally, individuals or small businesses might be looking up to $5 million, be the usual range, but obviously there's exceptions. A, a lot of the deals we do at the, the lower end are sold to exactly that demographic. We sell to a lot of people who might be, uh, they might have had a full-time job at a kind of well-known tech company and they're an engineer there. And for them, they've done quite well financially and investing 100000 or 500000 or a million dollars to buy a business that's already established. And then they go in with the mindset of, hey, I can improve this. Like, hey, I'm a great developer, but I don't actually want to do the, I don't want to do the market research. I don't want the risk of right. it failing. What if right. I just buy something that's already established and improve it? Um, that happens a lot. We have, but I would say that's a lot of our buyers in the SaaS space, almost all of them are quite technical or maybe they have a bit of a marketing background and they say, well, I'm going to buy this business off someone who's quite technical, hasn't done any marketing. They've got a good product. So I'm going to spend all my time marketing instead. So absolutely. No, it's, it can be a very good um, option because you assume you have the capital. Obviously that's the, the hard part a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But so, if, you, if you think of it as like, you know, somebody somebody who's, you know, a Google engineer or even, even, I mean, on their own, like a, a software uh, developer on their own can do very well, uh, you know, easily into the six figures. And to imagine saving two years, $500,000 suddenly doesn't sound like that much money. If that means, you know, I saved two years of, of wandering in the, <laughs> wandering in the uh, wilderness. Well, absolutely. It's all relative. Cause if, if you make a million dollars a year, then absolutely that, that formula makes sense. If you make $20,000 a year, then it probably doesn't. But no, absolutely, that's the way to, particularly if you're established and you have access to capital, whether it's your own or someone else's, um, then it's definitely a, a good option. So what would someone look at if they were, you know, I, I mean, not to get too far into the weeds, because I'm sure you guys have like reams of material on these sorts of things, maybe on your blog or something. But like if you're if you're a low-end buyer, not sophisticated, and it's a... It's a non-trivial risk what sorts of what, what would you advise someone so like let's let's say i've got i don't know let's say i've got a uh, 250,000 to i can get together 250,000 to buy a SaaS, 
and what sorts of, and, and we just met like what kinds of questions would you ask me well so i think firstly if you're the first thing to do if you're considering buying a business is again this sounds quite stupid like actually start looking and look at a few businesses um because that will often answer almost all of the questions you might have um i think for for buyers it's important because often what what happens and this is something i've learned over the years similar to if you write 100 pieces of content you don't know which ones are going to be successful um you don't know you probably won't know what the business you want to buy is until you actually see it and chances are the business you buy want to buy it is not what you originally thought your criteria was we have a lot of people that come just like just like buying a house like when i bought two houses and and both times it was like i thought i knew what i was looking for until i saw the right one and i was like oh this this is what i want (laughs) exactly i I actually bought a house recently and had exactly the same experience if i (laughs) i can't i can't draw but if i drew you what i thought my house would look like it's not the house i'm in now but i love the house i bought so that's worked well it's the same with the business like a lot of people come to us and this is not necessarily a bad thing they'll come with a list of like 15 criteria points they're like yeah, okay yeah, i want yeah. a SaaS business it has to make between two and five thousand dollars a month it has to be a valuation below a hundred thousand um it has to be in this industry it has to have a churn rate below two and then they have all these criteria and you can almost guarantee if they don't change that criteria <laughs> in two time two years or five years they're still looking um so come in with an open mind look at lots of different businesses um ultimately as an acquirer similar to my point around what makes a good business to launch you need to buy a business that you understand or think you can understand or figure out and have the skills to grow um and i think one thing that a lot of people i think people overcomplicate things is to grow up and again this sounds quite stupid maybe quite obvious but to grow a business you only need one to change one variable you don't have to improve while you, you can focus on kind of sustainable gains and kind of consistent improvements across business, often you just need to improve one thing. I've seen buyers who have been extremely successful buying a business, and it could just be as simple as quadrupling prices. And then their MRR over a period of time will also quadruple because there's no elasticity of demand and buyers will continue to buy the product. So often you don't need to be a NASA rocket scientist to, <laughs> to, to buy a business and be successful. So if you understand it on the way in, you don't have to improve everything. A lot of people might look at it and be like, oh, the, like I said, the, the website doesn't look very nice, but I don't, I'm not a designer. I don't know anyone who's a designer, so how can I improve this, this business because I don't know how to fix this homepage or pricing page or, or whatever it might be. And while that might be an important thing, you don't have to Im- improve everything. Not immediately, not if you're buying a small business and it's just you or a small team. Um, could be as simple as current owner is a um, worked full-time at a large company like Apple. They, they run this on the side. They work on it one hour in the evening. Uh, it's making some money, but they answer support tickets once a day. Um, and that it might take them 24 hours to apply. You could buy that business and improve it simply by answering tickets throughout the day and being much more responsive. Um, so often you don't need to reinvent the wheel or you don't have to relaunch the product to make it look better, launch a new fancy website, have a social media team on Twitter all day long. You can just improve some small things. So I say it is intimidating buying a first business. Um, but if you understand it, then ultimately a lot of the small issues and challenges you might run into and kind of unknowns might not be a problem if you can improve it anyway. So that's just something to something to think about on the way in. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, listen, this has been amazing. Uh, I'm sure that probably a full 20% of the listeners are going to want to find out more. Where should they go to connect with you or you know, read what you've written or watch videos? Where could they go to learn more? Sure. So, I mean, we've done a, a range of content. So you name the medium you like. Chances are we have something in that medium. But if you go to the FE International uh, website, I'd say, Generally, the way we keep best in touch with people is via email. Um, if you maybe want to buy or sell a business in the future, you can just sign up to our newsletter. You'll get an email once a week with just what's going on in the industry, um, what we're working on at the moment. If you want to potentially work with us as a client, you can sign up to our buyer list. You can 
browse businesses for sale. You can talk to someone in our team about what you might want to buy. Um, and similarly, if you have a business to sell, you can do exactly the same thing. Um, or if you just want to kind of consume more content, uh, you can go kind of browse podcasts we've been on. We don't have our own podcast, but um, been a guest on lots of podcasts now. So you'll find multiple we've been on. Um, we do a lot of written content if you like reading blogs social media the team like myself all quite active there so start with the fe website browse around depending on on what you want to do and i would say in general it's never too early to have a, a conversation with us most people we work with now as as sellers knew about us five ten years ago and they've maybe heard heard a talk i made five years ago and have built something and then come back to sell it so it's never too early to start a conversation like don't be afraid to reach out we have a a large team i guess pe- people get paid to talk to people and as the name suggests like we are an MA, like we are an advisory firm and we've got a job to like help people so we're more than happy to give advice and almost everything is is free on the way and we don't charge you for evaluation or anything like that Cool. All right, folks. So go to feinternational.com to uh, find all of that great stuff. If you're interested in buying or selling a SaaS, uh, it's it's not something I have any personal experience with. And I know I get questions about it from, you know, a, a portion of the audience. Uh, so I just defer to Thomas. And I, I speak, you know, as you just pointed out, I've heard of FEI probably you know probably almost since the beginning maybe 2012 uh sorry yeah 2012 right you started 2010 um and i've heard about it for a long time you guys been around forever it's it's the to me it's the gold standard so if folks are either buying or selling that's the place to go that's my recommendation oh well thanks so much that's it for this week i'm jonathan stark and i hope you join me again next time for ditching hourly bye Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.